Just like Eric said, we cannot wait to celebrate Easter with you. Hopefully you've registered for one of the four services. Remember, we're adding that Saturday night here that we usually don't have. And so if you want to come Saturday night and have to go spend time with family, uh, that's for you. And so make sure you register this week. All of them are open at this point, just to let you know. So, uh, And even if you don't register, still come out for Easter, okay? So make sure you're still here. Um, we also want to ask you to attend one, serve one. We have some openings in, in greeting and also in chapel kids. So maybe you have some time on Easter Sunday. You could a- attend a service, but then also serve at a service if you want. And so you can see the Welcome Center, and they can get you signed up for that. All right. Well, let's jump into right into Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, we find a man by the name of Philip. And Philip is a disciple of Jesus, and Philip is basically just leading a ministry in Samaria that's just booming. People are hearing the good news of Jesus, they're loving what he says, and and they're delighting in his words and in the gospel. And so Philip, though, in the middle, at the pinnacle of his ministry, God says, hey, I need you to go to uh, the road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. And it's on that road that he meets a man by the name well, we don't know his name. What we're told is that he is an Ethiopian eunuch. He's an Ethiopian eunuch, which means that he is a, a treasurer for the queen of Ethiopia. And he was traveling to Jerusalem because he was a God-fearer. At some point, he had heard about the God of Israel, and so he traveled to Jerusalem to worship God. So he was a God-fearer, but he didn't know about Jesus. And at this point, Jesus had resurrected. He had ascended. The church was now booming. He didn't know that Jesus was the way. And so that's where we pick up the story where Philip runs into this eunuch on this road. And let's look what happens. Acts 8, 30 to 38. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, hey, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? He has good logic. And he urged Philip to come up to, into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with the same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. As they rode along, they came to some water. And after the eunuch put his faith in Christ, he said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? Then he ordered the, the carriage to stop. And they went down into the water And Philip baptized him. Isn't that pretty amazing? Isn't that pretty amazing how this eunuch was reading the prophet Isaiah and Philip was there, just so happened to be there. God was going to use him. And he was like, do you know what you're saying? And the eunuch's like, nope. And so he used the scriptures. He used Isaiah to point to Jesus. And that eunuch then came to know Christ. You know what's amazing about that story is that eunuch then goes home to Ethiopia And I'm pretty sure I knew what he would do then. He probably shared the good news of Jesus there. And so this ministry then spread into Ethiopia, which God said would happen. It's pretty amazing. 
The next thing that I want to point out is in Luke chapter 4. We see another instance where the prophet Isaiah and his words are used in the New Testament. And so this is Jesus himself, okay? Jesus himself heads back to his hometown and he just kind of strolls into the synagogue one day. And they, this is where the story, uh, we pick up the story. He walks into the synagogue. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him, to Jesus. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you have just heard has been fulfilled this very day. This was completely a drop the mic moment, right? I mean, Jesus, so picture this. Jesus walks into his hometown, Nazareth, where he's known as Joseph's son. He's known as a carpenter's son. So he can't be, he's not trained in the synagogues. He's none of this stuff. He walks into the synagogue. They're like, here you go. They give him this prophet Isaiah. Now, what he reads is found in Isaiah chapter 61. Well, we know to be Isaiah chapter 61. So imagine, Jesus is just unrolling for probably some time, all the way to the bottom of this scroll. So it's like, okay, all of this is fulfilled in me. He reads it, and he says, listen, he says, I am the one who has come to proclaim. I bring good news. I have come to proclaim that captives will be released, blind will see, oppressed will be set free, and that the Lord's favor has come. He wants these people to understand that what Isaiah said is fulfilled in himself. Isn't that pretty amazing? Think about going to the, to the synagogue week after week and hearing the prophet Isaiah read, and yet now you have standing in front of you the person that it's talking about. You see, we're in a series called Jesus in the Old Testament. A lot of people want to uh, disregard the Old Testament. They don't understand it, so they just kind of want to set it aside. But really, when you read the Old Testament time and time again, guess what? It's talking about and pointing to Jesus. Last week we saw how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament law. Today we're going to be looking at, you kind of already noticed, Jesus and prophecy. Jesus and prophecy and that he is the fulfillment of many, many prophecies in the Old Testament and how the old, whole Old Testament points to him. And so the first question we have to ask, though, is what is prophecy? We, that word is kind of uh, skewed in our culture. And so you, when we think of prophecy, your mind instantly goes to predicting the future, doesn't it? Like when we think of prophecy, we think of, okay, someone standing up there telling me what's going to happen in the future. Now, a lot of people think that's what the Old Testament prophecy is, but you know what? The Old Testament, that type of prophecy only contains 10% of it, okay? The other 90% of the prophetic literature we find in the Old Testament is all God talking to his chosen people through a chosen messenger. And so God just wants to communicate with his people, so he uses a prophet and he speaks to them of how they should live and what he requires of them as his people. Now, part of ten, that 10% that does look toward the future, that does look uh, predicting the future, if you will, kind of like we already just read, a lot of that is what we call messianic prophecy. 
And that's prophecies that are focused on the Messiah to come. Remember, the Israelites had their minds focused on this Messiah that would come and fulfill everything that was said in the Old Testament. And so what we see is that Jesus is the Messiah, the one that has fulfilled those messianic prophecies. Jesus himself has fulfilled over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament. One of them being this, Zechariah 9.9. If you've never read it, you should look at it today because it's about Palm Sunday. And Zechariah 9.9, which is one of those little books at the end of the Old Testament called the Minor Prophets, Zechariah says that the salvation of God's going to humble himself and ride into town on a donkey. And guess what happens on Palm Sunday? He rides, Jesus rides into town on a donkey with his eyes set on the cross. So Zechariah 9.9 comes true right there on Palm Sunday. Isn't that amazing? It's pretty amazing. So Jesus fulfills all these Old Testament prophecies. And so we have to read the Old Testament with with a Jesus lens, if you will. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to go back to what the eunuch was reading, which is kind of crazy to think that thousands of years ago they, they were reading They were reading this, Isaiah 53, and then we're going to read it today as well, all right? And so here's what's going to happen. We're going to read the entire chapter of Isaiah 53, and the the words that are in white, I'm going to read by myself. The words that are in yellow, you're going to join in with me. You got that? Do you think we can do that today? While we read, though, I want you to have a Jesus lens, okay? I want you to think about Jesus as you're reading this especially his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And so if you've never read this chapter, it's going gonna, it's gonna to blow your mind, okay? Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 12. Remember, don't come in early. Wait till the yellow, okay? Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God and a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before its shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. 
Yet when his life is made an offspring for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? When you read that chapter of Isaiah, when you read that prophecy and you see how Jesus fulfilled all of that, every little part all the way to that last sentence. He bore the sins of many people and interceded for rebels. You know who the rebels are? Yeah, you and me. We're the rebels. Jesus fulfilled all of this. So we can't, obviously, we can't spend time going through this entire chapter. So I just want to highlight three things real quick this morning. First is the fact that we're all lost. We're all lost. Look at verse 6, Isaiah 53, 6. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Uh, the, the most encouraging part of this verse is those first three words, all of us. You know what that tells us is that none of us in this room are exempt from lostness, if that's a thing, if that's a word. All of us are, none of us are exempt from this idea that we are lost and that we've wandered away from God's path to follow our own path. It means that none of us can live on our moral high grounds thinking that we're better than other people because we go to church, we pray, we give, we do these things. If that's your justification for you following Jesus, of you morally doing some things, well, guess what? You're lost. All of us, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We're all lost. I love how Isaiah uses sheep as a reference because we all know that sheep are not intelligent, are they? Sheep are not intelligent animals. That's why shepherds are vital for the life of a sheep. In fact, I've been told things about sheep. I'm no expert about it, so if you are, awesome. I'm not. But I've been told that they will just continue to eat the grass right in front of their face until it turns to dirt. And then when it's gone, they'll just stand there and die. They don't understand that they need to keep going and find new green pastures. That's why a shepherd's so important to show them more green pastures. There's a story on the internet where this shepherd wanted to eat breakfast, so he kind of went over and sat down. And while he was eating breakfast, one of the sheep thought, you know what, I'm going to walk this way. You know, all the thousands of sheep followed that one sheep. You know where it led him? Right over a cliff. And they all followed, every single one of them, thousands of sheep just gone, just like that. You see, sheep need a shepherd. Sheep need someone to lead it. David knew that all well. That's why he said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord is the one that leads us into green pastures. The Lord, Lord is the one that leads us beside still waters. And yet, through our sin and through our pride and through our rebellion, we have left God's path. We have left our shepherd to go our own way, which most likely is going to lead to a cliff. We're all lost. 
Every single one of us. We're all lost. But even more than that, though, not only are we lost, but it goes a little further. Look at verse 3. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. So not only are we lost, but verse 3 goes further and says, hey, even though you're lost, you've gone your own way and your own path, but you also reject the rescuer. So let's say we're sheep and we're off on our own, and all of a sudden the shepherd comes to get us. We're like, nope, I don't need you in my life. So verse 3 goes further and says we're lost, but yet we also reject our rescuer. We reject the one who has come to save us. You know what the beauty of this, though, is that even though we reject Jesus, he doesn't reject us, does he? Even though we are so lost, even though we willingly reject Jesus out of our pride, out of, out of our sin, out of our rebellion, even though we reject Jesus, he will not reject us. He will not reject us in our lives. Rather, he carries our weaknesses, we're told in Isaiah 53. He carries our sorrows. He does all of this out of grace and mercy because we are so lost and he wants to bring us back into the fold. He wants to bring us back into his family. Even though we reject Jesus, he does not reject us. And because of this, we need to embrace the great exchange. Have you guys heard that phrase before? We need to embrace the great exchange. Let's look at verses 5 and 11 because we see this beautiful exchange happen between God, the righteous one, and us, the unrighteous one. So let's read verse 5 and then verse 11. I, uh, but, we, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. By the way, look at that word, our. That kind of compounds that idea that all of us are like sheep, Right? All of us have wandered, all of us are gone, all of us are rebels, all of us have walked away. And yet, he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. And then verse 11, and because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. And so there's this beautiful exchange we see happen here. He says, God says, my righteous servant. So who's righteous? Jesus is. My righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. And so if we need to be counted righteous, it means we don't have righteousness. It means we don't have it at this point and we need it. And so where are we going to get this righteousness from? From our works? From what we do? Absolutely not. We're going to get this from the righteous one. And that's where this beautiful exchange happens for you visual learners. Here we go. All right? So think about this. Here's, let me just explain this for you a second, okay? The one that says Jesus and righteous is Jesus, okay? It's not you. Jesus is the one with the crown. Jesus is the king. Jesus is God. We are not. And yet we try to be God in our lives all the time, don't we? And yet we try to be the righteous ones thinking that's going to be good enough for God. But it's not. 
Jesus is the righteous one. He's the one, and then the arrow signifies this idea, his death, his burial, his resurrection. Because he was perfect when humanity is sinful, he was able to exchange his righteousness and give it to us. But here's the beautiful thing about this, is that Jesus doesn't just hand us his righteousness and then walk away. It's not like we're sitting here with unrighteousness and righteous at the same time. We're told that he exchanges it. He says, here's my righteousness, but give me your, your unrighteousness. And that's what he bore on the cross for you and for me. That's why he went to the cross, so he could bear the penalty of our sins. He exchanged his righteousness for our unrighteousness. He exchanged his crown for our filth. He exchanged his life for our death. You see, the great exchange is this idea that Jesus hands over his righteousness but takes our unrighteousness so that we may have life and life eternal. You see, we are lost in this life. All of us are like sheep. We're lost, we've wandered, we're gone. We, we're living in rebellion against God. Not only that, but do we, re, we also reject God. So it's a, willingly, a willing rejection through sin. But Jesus didn't make that the reason. He, he said, oh, well, good for you. Just keep rejecting me. Rather, he entered into the fray and he went to the cross for you and for me so that this could happen, so that this exchange could happen for those who place their faith in him. I don't know about you, but this is pretty amazing, isn't it? I don't know about you, but the weight of this today feels very heavy on me. How many times I take this for granted how many times I've heard this? Ever since I was a little, little kid, I've heard this story. How many times I live a day not thinking about this? And yet this is the reality we live under every single day. That even though we are unrighteous and we still have a sinful nature and we still do things that don't honor and follow Jesus or don't please God because we want to keep going our own way, we're prone to wander, Right? Yet he still continually gives us his righteousness. You see, we are lost. We reject Jesus, but he does not reject us. Instead, he embraces us. And we learn that through Isaiah chapter 53. We learn this idea through the Old Testament prophecies because they all point toward a person. They all point toward Jesus. He is the fulfillment of all these messianic prophecies. And so we have to talk about this for a second, though, because Isaiah 53 is pretty somber, right? We think it talks a lot about the death and, and, and the burial. But then Isaiah doesn't leave us hanging. He actually goes further and refers to the resurrection as well. Verse 12, the last verse, it says, I will give him, God saying this, I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier. A victorious soldier. I'm, I'm telling you, a soldier is not victorious if a soldier is, is dead. A victorious soldier is one that is fully alive and, and walks home in victory, right? 
That's exactly what Jesus did for us. He did not stay in that criminal's grave. He did not stay in the rich man's grave. He did not stay there. He rose again in victory. And Isaiah shows us that that would happen, and we are celebrating that this week, that he rose again in victory. And so you really have to ask the question, if we, if we truly believe this to be true, if we believe Isaiah 53 is pointing to Jesus and that he is the shepherd and that he is the one that gives us his righteousness and exchanges it for us, then this is the question we're left asking. The question we're faith with, faced with before the risen Christ, the risen Christ, is whether we're willing to stop running and be found. So that's the question that you have to ask yourself today. Are you willing to stop running and be found? Are you willing to stop wandering away from Jesus and be found? That's a question you have to ask yourself time and time again. There's two people in this room today. First, there's some of you who are seekers. You don't even know if this Jesus stuff is real. You don't even know who he is. You're learning. You're just now coming. And that's amazing. I'm so glad you're here today. And if that's you, I implore you to embrace Jesus today. And if you don't really truly know how to start that, here's a great prayer by John Stott, a great theologian. And this is for anybody who's truly seeking to understand who Jesus is. This is a great prayer to pray. It says, God, if you exist, and I don't know if you do, and if you can hear this prayer, and I don't know if you can, I want to tell you that I am an honest seeker after the truth. Show me if Jesus is your son and the savior of the world. And if you bring conviction to my mind, I will trust him as my savior and follow him as my Lord. Listen, I'm not here today to just tell you to pray a, a, a little flippant prayer. But what I do want you to pray for is conviction. So if you don't really truly know if Jesus is real or not, pray for conviction that God would convict your mind, convict your heart, so that you can follow Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord. That's for those seekers in here today. But if you have embraced Jesus, if you do know he exists and you have faith in that, if you do know that he listens, which he does, if you do know that he is your Savior and that you want to follow him as your Savior and Lord, if that's you today, I also want to implore you to embrace Jesus. Again, countless times, how often do I take for granted what Jesus has done for me? How often do I prone to wander in my daily life away from who he is and follow my own paths? No matter who we are, remember, all of us have the tendency to wander all of us have the tendency to reject his path and follow our own. And so I implore you, if you do know that Jesus exists and you do have faith in Christ, I want to implore you to embrace Jesus again today. Because listen, this is the good news that Philip shared with the eunuch in, the, in that chariot, whatever it was. This is the good news that Jesus was sharing about to those people in that synagogue. This is the good news that the entire Old Testament is pointing to and that Jesus lives out in his life. And this is the good news that we're going to be celebrating this next weekend on Easter Sunday. And so I implore you today, no matter where you're at, embrace Jesus, either for the first time or again. Let's pray. God, we thank you. 
We thank you for this prophecy in Isaiah 53, that's 700 years before Jesus even stepped foot on this planet, that you were talking and revealing to us your son Jesus, of what he would accomplish and what he would do for us. We thank you for your son Jesus, how he is our Savior, he is our Lord, And I pray that all of us in this room would follow him and embrace him as that. And so God, continue to work in our hearts and help us to continue to move one step closer. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, I hope you're here with us for Easter and also Good Friday. And uh, if so, we'll see you then. Have a great Sunday.